My son, seven years old, had not seen his friend in weeks. After church services ended, his friend was beside our pew faster than I thought possible, and they both embraced in one of the most sincere hugs I have ever seen. They yelled each other's names, they jumped up and down, then they ran off to play. Physical affection comes natural to most humans, especially young boys. It is an outward expression of their genuine emotion, of their excitement. It's a shame we grow out of it. How would you feel if a man you loved and respected ran up to you, giving you a big hug, his excitement to see you brimming over uncontained? You'd feel like a million bucks. And if that is the case, it is in your power to make someone else feel like a million bucks. But we don't. To paraphrase Chesterton, we have sinned and grown old. We no longer have the courage to show honest enthusiasm for anything, let alone another person. And we train our kids out of it. Not consciously, but it happens. What's worse, nowadays suspicion is cast on such displays of affection between males. Looks a little gay to me, would be the whisper in many people's minds. This is one of the most tragic casualties of the sexual revolution, the recontextualizing of any signs of affection between male friends. It has literally crippled us. Anthony Esselin, in his prescient article titled A Requiem for Friendship, makes a powerful case that the sexual language of our culture has made male friendship nearly impossible. I cannot overstate the importance of the concepts Esselin describes. You need to read it. Examples abound of men who showed great affection for one another and knew how to express that affection, from David and Jonathan in the Bible to Shakespeare and some of his sonnets to Abraham Lincoln and his good friend. None of them were gay. I know the modern world will want to assume they were, but there is literally no evidence for it. And they are projecting their own sexual politics back on the ancient world, or even just 100 years ago. But Esselin's article concludes with the following passage. Know then that your tolerance for the flambeau, which is little more than a self-congratulating cowardice, or your easy and poorly considered approval of the shy workmate's request that he be allowed to marry his partner, means that the unseen boy will not find that friend, and that the idea and the love will die. The next time someone tells you they just want to live their lives as they wish, or that it does no harm to let them live their private lives as they wish, or that same-sex marriage doesn't affect you, keep this article in mind, at least the concepts it talks about. At a minimum, it should destroy any notion you have that the sexual politics of a culture is a private affair. It is anything but. And they know this. Deep down, you know it too. You just don't want to admit it. Why do you think there are loud, bombastic pride parades? Because they want to live a quiet, private life? There's no easy way out of this. We have made our mess, and now we must wallow in it. But we can glory in the honest excitement of children. We can learn from them. God forbid we squatch that excitement because of our own cowardice. 
At a minimum, continue to hug your children and provide other physical signs of affection, especially in the teenage years when they might want to start pulling away. Ruffle their hair. Put your arm around them. Show excitement when you see them. Do not let them lose that physical vocabulary. Keep it unsullied from the world as long as you can. <laughs>